Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. This is The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast, and I am one of your hosts, Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm the other host, Adam Pranica. Adam, I had so much fun playing Star Trek collectible card game war with you, I wanted to see if you wanted to go for another round of that. Oh, hell yeah. We're at war. There's been no formal declaration of war. Maybe this trick will bring us some luck. That nonsense is centuries behind us. War! Go to war! So I have a question before we start. Okay. I opened that pack and shuffled it, and then the cards that I had went on the bottom of the deck. So I could go with the same deck, or we could open another deck, or we could reshuffle the deck we already have. Let's go with the same deck. And I guess okay. we can reshuffle if we want. If we reshuffled the cards into the deck, we'll never finish the bit, you know? <laughs> All righty, Adam. Uh, do you want to go for first card? I do. I was just reviewing the cards uh, that accounted for my downfall in our last <laughs> card bit. Uh, and the archer was the one who fucked me. So thanks, archer. I'm going to give these cards a quick shuffle. Just so everyone knows... Everyone knows we're on the up and up here. <laughs> the stakes being what they are. Cards have been cut. I'm ready to flip. Oh, man. I suck at shuffling. Okay, I'm ready to flip as well. Three, two, one. Oh, I've oh, got man. Trill Ambassador Odan. <laughs> who, is, uh, who is the Ankylosaur. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that that has my card beat, but I have a very strange card. It's got, like, upside-down part to it. I guess that's so that your opponent can read it also. Uh, mine is Kittimer Research. <laughs> and uh, it is uh, a card that reopens the investigation into the Kittimer Massacre, which is famously where Worf's dad bought the farm. And it has points of honor times three plus computer skill plus treachery. <laughs> oh, boy. I guess it just depends on what flavor you're into. If you're judging that card against Creel Odan, like, are you in it for some deep historical research into possible POWs at Kittimer, or do you want to maybe fall in love with an Ankylosaur? I think I want to fall in love with an Ankylosaur. <laughs> Fair enough. You got the better card there. One point, flip? Adam. Should we flip another? Yeah, let's do it. Three, two, one, flip. Oh, oh boy. Man. It's going to take a lot to beat me on this one, Ben. Oh, really? I, I've got subspace schism. <laughs> <laughs> what does it say on subspace schism? It's a Solanogen-based aliens from another subspace domain accessed our space to abduct people for their experiments. Man. You just got schismed, Ben. <laughs> well, my card doesn't have a drop associated with it, but it's pretty solid here. I got Satelk. Captain Satelk is the Vulcan Starfleet officer who presided over the inquiry into Cadet Joshua Albert's death 
at the Academy Flight Range in 2368. This is the guy that uh, young Wesley Crusher the boy. confessed to, Adam. Yeah, this guy's really tightly wound. He's got integrity of eight. He's got cunning of nine. He has strength of seven. How can Kareel Odan, who lied about the fact that he, she was a trill, have integrity of nine? <laughs> when that Vulcan no guy integrity. you're talking about has an integrity of eight. Who's doing the scoring here? I don't know. Crazy people, Adam. I want to introduce a rule to this uh, Star Trek card game, war game that we were playing. Is that yeah. any card associated with a drop automatically wins. Well, that's a self-serving rule, Adam, but I can't really see a, any reason to dispute it. I would have come up with that rule, even if <laughs> even if I wasn't the main beneficiary of that rule, Ben. <laughs> All right, let's flip one more. Three, two, one. I've got Tackett, the Romulan male trained in Romulan anatomy and medicine. <laughs> I love that they made it, uh, they were very specific that he is Romulan and he studies Romulan anatomy. <laughs> Extensively trained in exobiology. Uh, what, what, uh, what's he weighing in at? Integrity four, cunning seven, strength seven. Wow. I think we are at loggerheads on this one, Adam, because I have Romulan command, subcommander Thay... Representative of officers serving in the Romulan Star Empire, ally of Sisters of Duras during the Klingon Civil War. And he has integrity of four, cunning of six, but a strength of eight. Oh, boy. Yeah. It appears we are a tie with that card. Okay. It's first to three, right? It is. Yeah. Okay. Flip one more. Yeah. Three, two, one, flip. Oh, man. I got kind of a weak card here. I have fever emergency. <laughs> Coordinate aid for Karelian fever outbreak. Medical times three or biology plus officer. Who the fuck knows what that is? Mm. Might have you beat here, Ben, with the Eurydian shuttle. <laughs> Farmer Hoggett class. Common shuttlecraft used by Eurydian agents and others for covert activities. This is the uh, shuttlecraft jalopy that strands Worf. Yeah. On that Amish Klingon planet. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say you got the W on this one, Adam. Hell yeah. I will take that W. That might be the only win on today's pod, Ben. Because uh, <laughs> we got a real stinker ahead, don't we? I've come prepared with uh, a couple of cans of beer. Figured this might be one of those episodes, Ben. One of the episodes we do best while drinking. Season 7, episode 14, Sub Rosa. Ben, what are you drinking? What's going to get you through this one? I'm drinking a Sierra Nevada Nooner, Nooner Pills. That's a nice beer. Yeah, it's got uh, Adirondack chairs in the, in the logo, so oh. you can tell it's a porch beer. That's great. Ben, you might have noticed that I opened two cans. <laughs> That's because my wife and I came up with a fun little beverage that is made of 50% Stiegel Grapefruit Rattler and 50% Rainier. We call it a, uh, 
Raindler. We have arrived at the pod at the point in the podcast where our tastes diverge, Adam. You don't like Rattlers? I don't like that Stiegel Rattler. That shit is disgusting. It's way uh, too sweet. That's why I cut it with Rainier. It's that it becomes the perfect beverage this way. Uh, Adam, you gotta Adam, you gotta Adam. make it in the shaker, as they say. <laughs> no? no, I'm building flavors here, Ben. No. Look, it's it's what's going to get me through this, all right? Hashtag no. <laughs> Are we fighting again? Let's not I'm just fight saying, about... Rainier is a perfectly good local. Just drink that. Don't add any bad Rattler to it. I like Rattler. I'm down. I like Rattler, too. I just don't like a, a shitty pastiche of a Rattler that's really just gross grapefruit <laughs> soda with alcohol added to it. I don't know, man. I feel like I could really slam a lot of these Stiegel Rattlers. Gross. We're just going to be on opposite sides of this, man. It's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. We can agree on one thing, though. <laughs> Ooh, this episode is something else. <laughs> so the entrepreneur is pulling up to a planet called Caldos 4, and the opening shot of the episode is a an unmistakable freaks, is it not? <sighs> yeah, no doubt about it. He's coming out of the gates. Gates as freaks. Freaksing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a big a big jib shot. It's an expensive set. A big jib shot. It is the it is the shot that they've been saving all their budget for, kind of a shot. And uh it's Beverly eulogizing her grandmother. She knew that well-being is more than just a healthy body. It feels like there's a little bit of soap opera filtration on this scene. Did you feel yeah. any of that? There's a little bit of... um. They've rubbed some Vaseline on the lens. It, there's a little promise on it. Yeah. <laughs> the first feature I ever worked on, uh, in the, I had like an internship with a, a DP in the Bay Area, and he brought me on as his like third camera assistant for this feature film that he booked while I was working for him one summer. And they shot the entire thing with ProMist filters on it. And I like never heard anything about the film uh, until I was like, you know, a few years later in film school and I found the trailer for it on YouTube. Uh-huh. And it was like the most soap opera y thing in the world because they just ProMisted the shit out of every shot. Yeah, I mean. And, uh, I was really embarrassed. I was like, fuck, I had no idea what we were making looked this corny. If you're wondering what ProMist filters look like, SNL deploys them a lot in their like perfume commercial spoofs. Like, that's the effect. It's a little bit gauzy. It's gauzy. It, uh, the reason that you see it used on soap operas a lot is that it smooths out skin tones, especially. Yeah. So ladies look very like flawless and ethereal and uh you know if uh if you're a dp that is trying to bang out an, an entire show of content every day and you're not going to have time for hair and makeup to come in and touch everybody up every five seconds right throw a little pro mist on there yeah shoot, save, with, shoot with some nice to even light smooth save everybody the makeup out. budget buy a filter and then maybe return that filter once production's over. Speaking of lighting, though, Adam, this is like one of the most intricately lit episodes of the show. Yeah, because it's not lit like sci-fi. It really it's, isn't. It's, it's lit like a different genre. 
It's a Star Trek is a place episode. All of the hard lights of of the Homeward episode uh, in the episode that came before are gone. It is. It's yeah. It it couldn't be more of a one eighty from the previous episode in terms of lighting and camera work. <laughs> I wonder how, like. I could see Frakes going through Homeward and taking notes about things he wasn't going to do. <laughs> this episode is yeah. so weird, Ben. Like, maybe the... There are a number of leaps it asks you to take, but maybe the biggest comes right at the beginning, which is like, this is Planet Scotland. Hey, I can't fucking wait the roof is dead, but I can't hold on to it. I'm going to do that. Oh, you don't do what for five minutes, you fucking wankstain. Don't put... Why is this a thing that exists? Why, when the producers had this idea pushed across their desk on the top of a piece of paper, went, great, let's do it. Yeah, like, you could write this story where Beverly Crusher's grandmother dies on, like, planet Florida, or whatever, like, the, the retiree planet that that all Federation seniors retire to. And it would be just as interesting as it is here. And we know from Seinfeld that you can shoot L.A. for Florida as much as you want. (laughs) I kept on expecting James Dewan to pop up. Like, this is probably where he drove his Winnebago, right? This is a great place for him to retire. I think the reason he did not, Adam, is that they couldn't have anybody with a plausible Scottish accent in this episode. <laughs> that was one of the rules. You're going to make everyone look bad, James. Don't light the candle. Don't light the candle. <laughs> Oof. So Bev is eulogizing her grams as as the body is being electrically lowered into its hole. <laughs> And once the service is over, you know, there's like the mingle. Everyone's in their in their Starfleet yeah. formal wear. The guy and with the loaf, like, does the ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And you're like, wow, is that a tradition on your planet too? He has real dark crystal face, you know? Like, if the dark <laughs> crystal puppets grew up to be adults and adult-looking people, that's what he looks like. Yeah. He's got sort of a pug nose that's grown into his upper lip. I think it was... A bit jarring because this is like a post-religion future yeah, that we've been presented with. And so, like, I mean, I suppose it doesn't seem totally out of... Uh, it, it doesn't seem totally insane that some of the traditions of religion would persist without the kind of religious underpinning. But uh, hearing people say amen was felt, felt very untrek. Yeah, it sure did. I mean... <laughs> Again, this is after we've been introduced the idea of a Scottish planet. <laughs> I just love the idea that someone proposed this. Like, now, we all know that every planet in the Federation is sort of a-religious. What, what my planetary proposal presupposes is, what if we make a Scottish planet that is utterly religious instead? <laughs> What if, Adam? It's Good the question. It's the episode that answers that question. They finished the ceremony, and uh, people are like dumping the scoop of dirt on the top of the casket, and 
a beautiful flower lands on the casket and it catches Beverly's attention and she watches as this really devastatingly handsome blonde man walks off. Just big fucking jaw, beautiful head of blonde hair, striking high cheekbones right off the front of a bodice ripper. He's what Gerard Depardieu wants to look like and believes he looks like <laughs> deeply, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this guy is is not pulling it out and taking a piss in the middle of an airplane though. Like in the mid 90s when Gerard Depardieu was like an an above the title actor, like people thought that's who this was. Yeah. That's people thought that's who he was. Was this guy? No. Turned out he was just a fat alcoholic mess. <laughs> Like everyone else. I mean, obviously, he was, he's like an incredible actor, but give me a break. <laughs> yeah. Uh, remains to be... I mean, look, we could do the research, but it's unclear whether or not the actor who plays this part is as much of a mess as the real Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> or if he is, in fact, Gerard Depardieu, we have no idea. Duncan Rager is his name. God, what a great name. <laughs> Damn. That is Biff Yeager-level great name. It really is. God, I, you know, for me, it's always been about Biff Yeager as a name, but Duncan Rager sort of gives him a run for his money in the name as department. As I sip through my beer on this episode, this might turn into a Duncan Rager for me. <laughs> we can only hope. Beverly was, not, was clearly not prepared to meet a hottie at a funeral. Yeah, it's one of those situations where you're not exactly looking to hook up. Yeah, your your emotions are not are not where they need to be to get as sprung as she clearly would be under any other circumstance. And also you're on a Scottish joke planet. You fucking Brussels brain, just tell me. Like no one's no one's looking to make out on the It's a Small World ride. Well, maybe some people. They have to uh, establish a lot of canon to make this world fit in the universe so when we come back from title sequence we get a little chit chat between the colonial governor and captain picard uh the colonial governor is the loafy guy and uh he's like yeah obviously i'm not scottish but i love scotland and this is one of the first terraformed worlds and we terraformed it up just to be like scotland you know scotland a country famous for its wonderful weather Yeah, we'll use actual Scottish castle bricks for our cornerstones, but the weather... I was forced to wonder, though, like, did so did you j- just go to Scotland and take down all the buildings there so that you could build them on a different planet? Like, what, what does contemporaneous Scotland look like in the 24th century? It's such a theme parkification of a concept, because Earth, by this point, has been weather-controlled for, like, a thousand years, like... right. There's there's no way anyone actually knows what the weather in Scotland was like and, or really cares. <laughs> yeah. I love the conversation that Picard has with him, though. Like, at no point does Picard say, are you serious with this planet? <laughs> <laughs> Even though I think if you look at him, if you look him in the eyes deeply, that's what his eyes are saying. It is in Peace Do's performance, but yeah. it is not in the text. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, this is a great like hey we're gonna justify having an episode here uh just hold on um so uh you guys are you guys are sticking around 
and Captain Picard's like, uh, no, we're actually leaving today. And he's like, well, there's no problem with it, but the weather system, you know, could take a set of eyes from a Starfleet engineer if you have time. It's like when you go visit your parents and, like, you're just about to go to the airport and your mom or dad are like, you know, that we are having a problem with, like, the computer connecting to the printer. If you could just, like, it'll take five minutes, really. If you could just stick around and, and like, troubleshoot that, that'd be great because we're so bad at computers. Is this a real story that really happened to you, Adam? Oh, it's happened to me dozens of times, Ben. <laughs> Do you want me to tell the real story? The <laughs> story? Because I won't. <laughs> now I have to edit that out. Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> God damn it. So that both establishes a scintillating weather pattern enhancer B storyline. <laughs> and and also the excuse for why the entrepreneur is here at all. Yeah. And and why anything can proceed from this moment. Why is the Enterprise on detached duty for this, though? Anything is more important than this. <laughs> Picard doesn't want to go to, like, Admiral dinners, and he's sticking around for this. There's no way an Admiral dinner is worse than this, right? No way. Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Troy and Bev hit the house of Beverly's late grandma. Uh, it's a, a very quaint and lovely little cottage full of lots of charming old knickknacks. And one of the knickknacks is a weird old candle that doesn't appear to be that remarkable, but everybody that sees it is like, That's beautiful. Even though it basically looks like something like a Klingon drinks Warnog out of. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the most brutalist candle ever. It is super Klingon looking. It's like, I don't know, like the thing to do with this is go down to like a antique store and get an old timey candle holder. But instead they like machined one out of gunmetal and like put some, put some weird, you know, it's like, what the fuck is the point of a candle in the future in the first place? It's, is it just the like pleasing ambience that it provides? It's a strange choice because they clearly production, they clearly set designed everything else in this house down to the letter. Like, there's practically Hummel figurines in this place. It's it's totally <laughs> set up. And then for them to miss on the candle was a weird miss. Yeah, it's a weird miss. I feel like there's got to be a story there because it yeah. just doesn't read as having anything to do with the rest of the house. Well, Troy takes off and Beverly, like parks it in a chair and like starts going through some books and stuff and she uh i guess she's like upstairs with uh with one of these books like she's gonna go read grandma's journal and uh this guy that looks like an ira hitman comes in (laughs) and he's like poking around the the ground floor of the house and he picks up the candle that everybody's been making the big deal out of and he blows it out and like down the stairs comes Beverly and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And this guy in in typical creepy groundskeeper drag, you know, like this is such a trope, right? Like, <laughs> like the guy who was just out digging the grave for the grandma is in here with a powerful warning. 
about the haunted candle. Let me get rid of that candle. Why? Do you not seek the treasure? <laughs> and Beverly, to her credit, like anyone would, is like, get the fuck out of my house, you creepy old man. Yeah. I'm not trying to hear this. I'm grieving. That candle has brought nothing but misery and bad luck to your grandmother. This guy was in The Departed? What? Whoa. Yeah. Damn, he was in Raging Bull also. And Titanic. This guy's done it all. And Sub Rosa. (laughs) (laughs) He's seen the highest highs and the lowest lows. His agent's like, look, man, it's been a good ride. I've gotten you through some great parts, but um, (laughs) I just saw a screener of Sub Rosa, and I think this is going to be it for us. I'm sorry. (laughs) I hope you understand. Beverly doesn't know this guy from Adam. She's she's like, my grandma never talked about you. I don't know who the fuck you are. And he's like, well, fuck you. Like you don't like I I come here all the time. You you haven't been here in twenty years. You're a terrible granddaughter. I've been screaming at your this- grandma for twenty years. Yeah, this candle's no good. Let me get it out of here. Let me save your family a lot of trouble. And she's like, get the fuck away from me. Give me my candle back. He basically is doing everything but, like, rattling a bunch of chains around him and, and making ghost noises. Yeah. Like, like, this is very clearly a harbinger of what is to come. And he's, like, really aggressive with her. Like, she asks him to leave, and he, like, walks out, and she's, like, slamming the door, and he, like, pushes it back and, like, gets all in her face and shit. Like, it's really, it's really fucking intense and crazy. Yeah. The tone of everything in this episode is like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's so off the chart. Yeah, I mean, you could make the case that Beverly could phaser him for what he's doing. He has broken and entered her house. He puts his hands on her. It's a classic B&E. Yeah. Yeah. My love is a piece of longing tail for that which longer nurses the we spend some time fucking around in main engineering with the uh, the governor working on the weather system, and the weather system is not doing great. Actually, like the second they take a look at it, it's like it's it's not it's not a uh, it's not set up the way it's supposed to be, and um, they're they're looking at some problems with rain happening un- unseasonably and stuff. There is a shot that I think Frakes has gone to a couple of times in his episodes, which is uh, the other side of the window in Shimoda Corner shooting into Shimoda Corner. Yeah, it's my favorite Frakes shot. With Data and Jordy sort of in a two shot, and then you see the reflection of the warp core behind them, and it's like making these neat stripes in frame. And in this episode- It's a fucking hard shot to do because like they- like you have to hide the camera reflection yeah, yeah. when you do that, which is a lot of work, you know, to get the angles right so that you get the warp core but not the camera. Yeah. Not easy. When you do a dolly shot, like the the vocabulary is on the vocabulary on set is like one to two, right? One is the starting point, two is the ending point of the of the dolly shot. When they get to two on this, the display in the background showing the weather computer is like in between data and Jordy. And it's like a nice 
elegant contextual background that they finished the dolly shot on. I thought it was really great. This is like, yeah. this is how deeply Frakes thinks about this stuff. Yeah, it's it's very cool, and it's very it's a flashier shot than we normally get, but it's not like too flashy, you know. It it's showing off how cool the set is. Like the set is so cool. Yeah. How fucking insane is it that, like, of the hundred and sixty-five or whatever episodes that we've reviewed, not that many directors have taken the opportunity to show all of the depth in this set by by doing shots through this window. Getting back to your point about hiding the camera, that is a curved window. I don't know how they hide the camera from that. Like, I, I think they, they must just like it's like drape everything on the dolly in yeah. black duvetine, including the camera operator and the camera. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's got to be it. There's no other way. It looks great. It looks great every time, and it's not it showy, like great. you say. It's it's yeah. just a good solid shot. It's a high spec shot. It's like it's high. It's it. it it adds to the production value so much without being like distracting or weird. Yeah. Things that are distracting are weird. Let's talk about them. <laughs> Beverly takes her candle back to her room and goes to sleep. And there is a super creepy dream sequence where using some like wire effects, they pull the blanket off of her and then start pulling her nighty down off of her shoulder. <laughs> She basically receives a Dan Aykroyd in Ghostbusters-like ghost job. You don't know that movie? Ghost gives Dan Aykroyd all sex. She, like, wakes up and she's all, like, hot and bothered about it. This isn't the first time this is going to happen in this episode, but, like, Gates McFadden's acting like she is brought to orgasm, like, in a, a couple times in this episode. Like, that's that's the direction, is, like... This guy gets you there. This ghost fucks. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be such a... That had to be something to have a conversation about before you even shoot. It's like, what can you show on syndicated television that yeah. pantomimes this feeling? What is the limit of that? Yeah, this is like... It will go over your head a little bit if you're a kid. Right. Like, when I watch this now, I'm like, does she have a stomachache or something? Like, I've never <laughs> seen the looks on her face before on anyone else. <laughs> what did right. you think she was feeling, Ben? I was just confused. <laughs> Adam, I need to, uh, we'll probably have to do this off mic, but uh, I want to tell you a little something about where babies come from. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Nobody knows! As with any hot, hot hookup, the first thing you do afterwards is you go have some girl talk. Yeah. Beverly has a post-game with Troy and 10 forward. Kind of a strange setting to have, uh, have a sexy talk. A pair of hands. They were moving across my skin. Like a caress? Yes. Yeah, it's a little more public than I might have picked. Shouldn't this be like private workouts leotard <laughs> sesh? Isn't that isn't that our established Beverly and Troy talk about a boy setting? This feels like a leotard conversation. You're exactly right. I don't know why you risk being overheard and ten forward. One thing that happens in this scene that I really wanted to call attention to is that Beverly says that what happened immediately preceding her going to sleep was that she was reading a particularly erotic chapter in her grandmother's journal. <laughs> <laughs> That is, oh, God. Like, 
Shouldn't Troy have just stood up and said, what? What are you talking about? What the fuck is wrong with you? Why was Beverly interested in reading that? <laughs> so like, gross. That's the first question. You're reading deeply erotic diary entries about your grandmother. I would love to know more about my grandma's life, but I would skip the chapters where she's getting boned. <laughs> yeah. Like, anything finger blast and up, <laughs> I don't want to know about it. The thing about, like, so Beverly has this confession with Troy about, like, what it felt like. It felt like hands on her skin. She was hearing also her voice being whispered. Also, grandfather. If I found my grandfather's <laughs> journal, same thing. Don't want to know about it. Ben, I think the fact that Beverly is drinking cranberry juice sort of discloses <laughs> that things went further than she's actually telling Counselor Troy about the, what she did to the ghost. She, she didn't go pee immediately afterwards? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go pee afterwards, Bev. You should know that. You're a doctor. Yeah, you're a grown woman and a medical professional. <laughs> I love it. She's are... casually drinking cranberry juice. Troy's checking it out like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Two strikes, Beverly. <laughs> uh, well, Beverly goes back to visit the grave of Grandma, and she finds the... Uh, like Ned Quint guy, the groundskeeper that was trying to steal her candle, like using using like a hand spade to fill in the dirt on on the grave, and she uh, apologizes for reacting badly to him trying to steal a priceless family heirloom. <laughs> a weird, a weird angle for her to take. I thought the same thing, like. <laughs> Why are you apologizing for the way you acted when this man broke into your home and attempted to steal something? Something that your recently deceased grandmother left for you. This is classic woman apologizing for something she doesn't need to apologize about. She's protecting his fragile patriarchal uh, (laughs) hegemony. This guy took like three days to bury his grandmother with this tiny hand spade. <laughs> like, if anyone should be apologizing, it's this guy. Yeah. He's like, that candle's bad news. It's still bad news. <laughs> and uh, the the reason why is that there's a ghost in it. And that's why all of these storms are coming. And she's like, Ned, you fucking, you fucking rustic idiot. <laughs> there's storms coming because the colony's weather system is, is broken. And uh, they're going to fix it. Don't worry about it. And he's like, do not light the candle. <laughs> Just do as I say. Do not light the candle and then go to that house. What makes this man's appeal so serious is that the storm has also gained intensity as he's talking about this dangerous storm, as if on cue. And it's like, uh, you know, leprechaun green lightning and shit tons of rain like hollywood level shit tons of rain haggis sized hail i uh, brought you guys a haggis <laughs> beverly runs home and when she comes into the house there are two unusual things one is that she's just run in from a rainstorm and her hair is barely wet <laughs> and the other is that the house is full of flowers the same kind of flower that the handsome hottie dropped on the casket of her grandmother 
It's sort of a lot to clean up if you're Beverly. Like, it's one of those displays of affection that seems cute to the guy that is giving the flowers, but it's got to be a real pain in the ass to the girl who's receiving them. It's sort of like yeah. the guy who gives the girl, like, the five-foot-tall teddy bear as a gift. Yeah. Like, there's nowhere to put a five-foot-tall teddy bear. That's a terrible gift. There's there's no way her grandmother also willed her enough vases to accommodate yeah. all these flowers. She's going to be standing at the sink clipping off the ends of these flowers for fucking six hours. The oldest old person doesn't have this many vases. (laughs) And she was over 100, Adam. She was very old. (laughs) So uh, this turns into like a lot of like panting and moaning and like her hearing a disembodied sexy male voice and... It's probably the number one bad, bad scene of the episode because they've basically given Gates McFadden an impossible acting task, which is there is somebody in the room talking to you that's not really here. Act like you're sort of in pain and also coming and also talking to this guy and confused about what's happening. Go. What's happening to me? Right now I feel so strange. I love you, Beverly, just as I loved Felisa before you. It's weird because it is a classic science fiction acting challenge to act as if something is happening that you cannot see because it's being comped or you're in front of a green screen or whatever. But yeah, like, except for, like, they don't ever ask Liam Neeson to, like, <laughs> also be coming when he's talking to Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> see, I thought you were going to—for some reason you were talking about Taken— <laughs> I'm a man with a very particular set of oh, skills. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Which makes me uh, uh, very, I, very, very I, big I, problem for a man like oh, Jesus. You. Uh, <laughs> I, I assure you, I'm really dangerous. This just happens to play right into my <laughs> most serious kink. <laughs> Which is my daughter being up to oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, by the time they got to the third taken film, it was basically just just all orgasmic. <laughs> yeah, that's the challenge that Gates has. It's like she's in a practical set, which gives her a little bit of help, but still like she's acting against someone who isn't there. Right. Ronan's- you can just like I like I don't know if you do this, but whenever there's a voice or a digital character, like I mentally put in the script soup reading those lines. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like from off camera, like, I love you, Beverly. I've always loved you. Like that like super <laughs> flat reading that the that a script supervisor does when, when they need to like have dialogue dropped in later. Why doesn't the script supervisor ever try in those scenes? Like that's such a classic flat affect. I don't like, know. I think that'd I think be fun just... to be a script super- supervisor to give it a little sauce, right? But, like, you have to think about, like, maybe this is unintentionally anti-script supervisor, but I kind of feel like the disposition of the kind of person yeah. who is good at, like, going like, uh, no, you didn't have that pen in your shirt pocket in the last scene. You had it behind your ear, you know, that notices little shit like that Yeah, is probably not the disposition of a person who is like also going to like throw themselves into the role of a character they're not playing. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Ben, in this scene, you hear more of Ronan than you ever have before this disembodied phone sex voice that he's got. (laughs) 
for yeah, a he's moment, totally one nine hundreding her. <laughs> his obsession with sex and getting her off, Ben. It made me think: Could Ronan actually be Nagilam? <laughs> I thought the vocal characteristics were very similar. Hmm. Mm, carbon-based vagina. <laughs> Power he, exchange-based sexuality. Not even. Not even Nagilam can find the clit, though. <laughs> Nagilam, you prick. <laughs> you rubber-faced monster. <laughs> what, the thing that made Nagilam the most awful was that he was not a giver. Yeah. And he thought that men should have more rights. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. There's a bunch of back and forth. Basically, the weather keeps getting worse and worse, and Beverly keeps getting more and more weird. She's, like, got a bunch of flowers in her room, and Troy's like, what the fuck is going on? She's wearing the a... sweater of an old. Like, did you <laughs> notice that she she's very wearing very loose-fitting clothing? Yeah, it's weird. Like, they have, they have Troy in the, in the Klingon yoga outfit that she had on when she got super sexy and turned old yeah also so it was like it was definitely like a visual callback to that episode um but it seems like a very similar fate is befalling beverly and uh eventually they're like all down in the weather control system trying to solve this raging storm that is happening and quint the groundskeeper is like is caught like it's a, it's a really weird. It might be the worst scene that Frakes has ever directed because they're all standing around going like, "What's going on with the weather?" And then they like just turn the camera to the left, and Quint is like under a desk, <laughs> fucking with with the system. Excuse me, sir. You were dismantling the primary power conduit. Like the reveal is like, okay, so you guys are all just standing in this room, and Quint broke the thing, and you didn't notice. Yeah, it's a coverage problem because they're so far apart in the room. Like, the room is fairly big, and they're on opposite sides of it. So you need to get coverage of them on one side, Quint on the other, and then when Quint gets blown out of the undercarriage of the computer bay, there's like a cut to him in midair in order (laughs) to cover the entire shot. Yeah. Well, Quint is in bad shape, but Dr. Crusher doesn't want to deal with it. So, uh, I guess uh, Susie Plaxton is going to have to uh, take over the take over for her. Maturin, like by this point, Beverly is basically walked off, and Maturin goes to Picard, and he's like, "Why wouldn't she, like, be his doctor? <laughs> what is going on here?" Well, we so, got a Vulcan nice... lady up there that is uh, has only been seen in one episode, but we mention basically. 10 times a season, just in case we ever need to bring her back. Nice chief medical officer you got here. <laughs> so Beverly, like, is fully in the throes of her budding romance with Ronan, and, like, she runs back from the the weather control station, and he explains, like, you've got you've to, like, change your lifestyle so that I can be with you, because all I want to do is give you the d and i can't i can't be that far away from this planet i can travel up the uh the beam that you guys are using to try and control the weather but that's it this is classic bad new relationship vibes right yeah controlling like 
trying to isolate her from her friends. He hooks her on the D and then is like, yeah, I think you should, uh, you should, you should leave your job is what you should do and leave your friends and then be with me. You got to yeah. keep this candle lit. Yeah. A lot of red flags with Ronan. And when, uh, <laughs> When Beverly puts in her walking papers, like Picard is like, fuck, like, I wish I could talk you out of this mad red flags. Like, I'm just saying this as a friend. It's not like I'm trying to keep you around because I don't know how I'm going to have breakfast from now on. These croissants (laughs) aren't going to eat themselves. (laughs) Or prepare themselves, as we have recently learned. Yeah. So, yeah, she's like, well, I'm going to go continue the proud tradition of women in my family of fucking this one guy. So... (laughs) I'm out of here. <laughs> we get our first shot of Federation matched luggage. <laughs> and there's not a round duffel in the pile. Like, she got some yeah. great luggage. Yeah. She can fit a lot of iPads in this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know more about that. That's an auction I would bid on. Some matched <laughs> Federation luggage. Why not? Yeah. She's also going to be, she's got the candle, like, set on top of all her luggage. <laughs> The candle situation is totally absurd. <laughs> is the candle lit before and after beam down? Yeah. It's strange to me that the act of transporting wouldn't put out the candle. That's some pretty yeah. complex pattern recognition. Seriously. Like, if you can beam fire, couldn't that be a weapon? Yeah, you could just beam a bunch of fire onto somebody. That's what I'm saying. How great would that be? <laughs> Beverly accidentally discovers a super weapon with her fuck candle. (laughs) This episode goes pretty far in the sexualization of Beverly, but one way in which they didn't go all the way was was making the candle phallic. I think that was great. Like, by having basically a cage candle, they they stopped that joke before it started anyway. Well, they had they had to have been thinking as they wrote this episode. You know, I bet a couple of asswipes will start a podcast about this show in twenty five ish years, <laughs> and we don't want them to have too much material. <laughs> Look, the candle that looks a little too much like a Hitachi magic wand is cool and everything, <laughs> but that's probably not going to age very well. There's a lot of foresight evident <laughs> in that decision. <laughs> So she starts, like, like she gets back to the planet, and it's, like, it's a total, like, Beverly and crowd, Cloud of Green Smoke fuck fest. Like, yeah. It, like, Ronan turns into a cloud of weed smoke, and, like, it just, like, hovers around her body, and she'll, she'll like, sit in a chair, writhing in passion. I had no idea I could feel this one. Ronan is fucking on ecstasy. We're nearly merged now. Yeah. As two candles joined to form a single light. Never want to do it. Yeah, not even once. Jordy and Data, meanwhile, have like localized the energy pattern that they found in uh, Quinn, the guy that got killed. Mm-hmm. So they and and they've localized it to the graveyard, and specifically the grave of Beverly's deceased grandmother. So Picard is like, he like comes down to the planet to like talk to Beverly about this, and he's like, he's doing the like the like back of the knuckle on the door knock the kind of like ginger like is yeah. it okay to come in and she is like way too turnt to to hear him so he basically walks in on her flicking the bean hey uh are you are you banging in there 
It's uh, it's your buddy, your buddy Pipes. <laughs> I brought these croissants. <laughs> and from inside, he's just hearing. <laughs> yeah, Ronan is just taking it to her in a gas cloud type of way. Mm-hmm. So it it kind of turns into a showdown because he's like he's like Ben. Getting you ever uh, you ever have a gas cloud? Yeah, let's during? let's take another little uh, detour at him because this episode's not long <laughs> enough yet. <laughs> what were you gonna say? What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say uh, I was just gonna ask you if you've ever done a gas cloud during. <laughs> uh, no, that's not um. It's not my way. You want to do whatever you can to hold that in. <laughs> See, now you can go to interstitial. Pipes is like, hey, listen, Bev, like, I know you quit Starfleet and everything, but this dude, this this red flag of a man is causing you to, like, do some pretty crazy shit and... Let's be let's uh let's uh put all our cards on a table. Nobody has even seen him. And uh w- like which is clearly like Picard pulling out his ace in the hole. Yeah. Like he thinks he's got her her dead to rights and uh to his shock Ronan walks into the room. Tell me why is it that no one has seen this Ronan except you? All right, Captain. Here I am. And then it is a showdown because Picard is saying, like, this guy has something to do with this problem with the weather and, like, he's making you crazy. He's making you make poor decisions. And uh, not only that, Data and Jordy want to dig up your grandmother and uh, <laughs> and I'm going to let him do it. it. This is such a great scene that's done in front of them. Like, he mentions the idea that they're going to. And Ronan's like, fuck that. No, you're not. I'm speaking for Beverly now. And Picard basically gets them on the comm and is like, proceed with the dig up. Proceed with Operation Grandma Dig. (laughs) Which is great. Like, there's not a backhoe uh, on the grounds. They just use the teleporter for this. It's just Geordi and Data there. They don't have, like, a guy with a shovel. Yeah. And that guy had a a hand shovel to begin with. He's not going to... It's going to take him five days to dig out the grandma with that tiny hand spade. Yeah. And 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 Picard, like, continues to turn the screws on this guy. He's like, I bet the governor has never even heard of you. I bet that there's no record of you arriving at this planet. Like, Picard knows something about this guy that we don't know yet. It's hard to isolate this scene as a moment of suspension disbelief because <laughs> there's been so many of them throughout the episode. But Picard gets there in his mind almost immediately in a way that yeah. has no buildup at all. Like he just knows something up. He knows something's up and he knows exactly what is up. It's pretty wild. Like it's a, it's a wild leap because we don't have any reason to believe that Picard would have gotten there, right? Like he hasn't seen any evidence about what Ronan is. No, not at all. He's basically accusing Ronan of being the thing Ronan turns out to be without having established any basis for that accusation. Right. Like, at least Troy has been in Beverly's condo and has seen her transformation. Picard, I don't think, has seen her apart from the transporter room scene. That's all he has to go on. 
Then, and I guess he talks to Troy a little bit, and Troy's like, yeah, she's been drinking a lot of cranberry juice lately. TBH. <laughs> like, like, I don't think she's taking care of herself. <laughs> yeah, you got to flush after a uh, ghostly like, fuck fest. I'm pretty sure she's not taking a drug test later. I'm pretty sure this is only about one thing. Well, Picard uh, turns the screws enough to make Ronan vanish into a puff of green smoke. Who are your neighbors? And he's like, come on, Beverly, we got to get out of here. Come on, Beverly, we've got to get out of here. And he reaches for her, and green lightning hits him. And he goes down. And this kind of snaps Beverly out of it. Like, she has really been on Team Ronan up until now, and seeing Picard get zapped is kind of a reality check for her. She starts, like, scanning him with her tricorder, and Ronan's like, we got to stop to get the you know the android and the engineer from digging up your grandma like that's that's task one and she's like no no task one is making sure you didn't just kill captain picard and she's like really super emotional during the scene and like kind of flighty but she manages to hypo spray him and ronan is like well i'm gonna go do that thing i said so goodbye <laughs> and uh and when he leaves she has like a she has like a tearful breakdown. Yeah. I mean, I think she sees the writing on the wall and the writing says you're not going to get it knocked out like the way it's been anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sad realization at the end of any relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Jordy and Data get the uh, get the lid off of this casket and Basically, the silliest thing that has ever happened in all of Star Trek happens, which is there's this perfect old lady lying in there, <laughs> and she like wakes up and starts zapping him. I suggest we run a deep tissue scan to look for any signs of. No! Ronan reanimates the grandma. This is a <laughs> horror movie scene. This is fucking crazy. It's like a it's like a C slash D horror movie scene. I thought for sure that grandma was gonna take a phaser. Like <laughs> like phaser her back into the coffin, Beverly. Yeah. It's so silly. Yeah. Great grandma acting though. Like yeah. great casting. She was great as evil grandma for the the four <laughs> lines that she had. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Little bit of an action scene for her too. Yeah, and Beverly shows up in, like, nightgown with candle and is yelling at the horror movie grandma to cut it out, I know you're Ronin. And so, like, all of the green smoke flies out of grandma and rematerializes as Ronin. And, like, she picks up a dustbuster and she's like, There's no such thing as a ghost. You are some sort of anaphasic life form. And you've been an alien that's been haunting my family for, like, 800 years. And this is is where your road stops. And she straight up gats him several times. She sets her phaser to vape. Yeah. And uh, she takes him out. Pretty bold move. She also gets the candle, which is like, thank fuck that candle got killed. Yeah. 
Yeah. The candle gets gadded first because Ronan discloses that he needs the candle. That's where he lives when he's not in a corporeal state. Like, right. part of his reason for going inside her isn't only to pleasure her, but it's to give him a place to live. Yeah. He lives up in there. <laughs> All up in them guts. Yeah. Yeah. And so without a home, he's basically fucked. So fucked that he, he basically charges at Beverly, who shoots him twice and then kills him. So the button on the episode is another girl talk between Beverly and Troy. And they're just kind of like wrapping up the exposition, like that he had kind of been seducing and incorporating himself into the women in her family for a, a long, long time. And it ends on this weird note where she says, like, I was about to be initiated into a very unusual relationship. <laughs> you might call it a family tradition. And I killed him, but everything I've read in my grandma's journal leads me to believe that it was a very, like, fulfilling experience for her to have this symbiotic relationship with this alien. And it, it was great for her, which is the strangest note to end on because, it, like, you just killed him. Like, it wasn't that he needed to be killed. It was that he had, like, been dishonest about how he survives, right? Like, he, he wasn't actually a bad guy. He was just trying to survive and, like, and this was the way he he found to do it but it didn't didn't it like not really take any agency away from anybody the tone of it was super weird in that there was also almost like a tinge of regret in what beverly is saying in that she does not regret you know like the grandma's satisfaction in living this way it felt like she almost regretted the idea that she wouldn't be able to like yeah like she saw some she saw some good part in that. And I don't know if I find that believable at all. Like, she's a career woman. Exactly. Like, like she wants to go live on planet Scottish. <laughs> like, no fucking way. She's going to spend the rest of her life dusting Hummels. Yeah. So so it's like, it's both that and also, like, is it necessary to murder this alien based on... Like, it definitely did something bad. Yeah. But, do, like, is murder the answer to <laughs> what it did? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's such a weird half measure into that idea. I mean, this sort of assumes that the episode makes any sense, but... Yeah. Which, it makes so much less sense than the credit we're giving it. Yeah. (laughs) Beverly can't even go so far as to say, like, I feel bad. The thing I feel worst about is killing the thing my grandma loved the most. Like, that is an efficient way to put her feelings, but she's just unable to get there. She's yeah. she's mealy-mouthed about it. Much like I am after all this Rattler bin. Did you like this episode? <laughs> I did kind of like watching it again. I mean, it's so obviously a failed episode, and it fails on a whole bunch of different levels. But, man, they swing for the fucking fences on this episode. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, let's, let's see how far into a genre we can take this show and like i don't think that it's a bad instinct you know i think that um i think this can succeed uh, just as spectacularly as this failed and 
for all of the terribleness of the script, I think uh, there's some really exciting visuals in it. I mean, like at one point, like they walk out on the bridge and there is ankle depth fog everywhere. <laughs> and it's just like, wow, what a cool, like, I wish, I wish they did shit like this more often. It's so, it's so exciting to see this show just like present us with a bunch of visuals that are like utterly new to it. You know, it's a show that recycles shots like of different ships all the time. It's, it recycles premises, it recycles settings. And this, uh, this episode is entirely outside of the, of the constant recycling that it, it, uh, typically does. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I like the idea that Frakes already had the smoke machine, and and like just that was his own personal touch. He's like, I've always wanted to smoke out the bridge. <laughs> I I always keep a cooler, dry ice in the back of my car. <laughs> what do you think Frakes was driving at this point? Trans Am. <laughs> just so the viewer knows for sure, there was no edit to close the distance between the question and the answer there. Like, I jumped all over that. Yeah, Adam had that chambered. <laughs> I I like the episode, too. This was a terrible episode, but I liked watching it, if that is an equivocation. Like, this is, yeah. a, this is cheap popcorn trick, and I think it's okay that the show gets weird. What made me sad was, like, it's very transparent that in season seven, everyone's getting their bottle. Like, Jordy's getting his bottle, Beverly's getting his bottle. They're all getting a, a bottle episode toward the end here. And I feel a little bit bad that this is Beverly's, you know? Mm-hmm. Because this does not play into her strengths as a character and a professional. This is, like, just getting super weird. And I feel like everyone yeah. else, to a certain degree, is given a professional send-off. Yeah, and, and like, the... The like steamy bodice rippery storyline is like would be much more interesting for like a Jordy or or a Data rather than a you know just like oh she's a woman so she's passionate right so we'll write her this story yeah you know it's like very insulting like let's see let's see her be like an awesome doctor for an entire episode right. Right, which is a sensibility that would take 10 years to construct in a viable way. Like, you need a Shonda Rhimes to make that case, I guess. Yeah. Ben, can we make the case for pivoting into P1s right now? I think we sure can. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. Do we? Our first is from Tom, and it's for Viv. Hey, Adam. Hey, Ben. You guys have made us laugh so much these past months. Thank you. Viv, my love. I hope you hear this and smile. You're the love of my life. Everyone else, you're all beautiful. Wow. That was very heartfelt. Jeez. You know, after what you could call months and months of of people ripping on each other over P1. That's really nice. Yeah. Message of friendship. It's a, a nice palate cleanser after all of the, like, 
go fuck yourselves that we've gotten between your razes and plevims. Yeah, feels good. Do we have any other priority one messages, Adam? Sure do, Ben. This one's from Ensign Gus. It's for Captain Jordy with a J. Message goes like this. From the bridge of the USS Friendship, here's a happy birthday to Captain Jordy in Amsterdam. Vintage quality, aged to perfection, all the best happy cats, and good luck with your future endeavors. You're the natural Jaeger of my friends. You make web development slightly less horrible. And you're one year old. And you're one year older. USS Friendship. That seems like a credible Federation starship name. Yeah, I would rather be on the Friendship than the Crazy Horse. No question. TBH. Yeah. Yeah, I think you start a FaceTime with an alien race on a very good foot when you declare you're the captain of the USS Friendship. Mm-hmm. In a way that the captain of the Crazy Horse has to sort of make excuses for. Like, look, man, it's just the name of my ship, all right? Just, just <laughs> introducing myself. Well, if you have a message of birthday or congratulations or anniversary or even hostility, messages of those kinds can be read on air by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They are a great way to help with the ongoing production of our program. Thanks, guys. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. 
with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Have you been fucked by a drunk Shimoda? (laughs) Very deep, Adam. (laughs) Gosh. uh, Who could it be but Beverly? And for what other reason than reading, quote, a particularly erotic chapter in her grandmother's journal, unquote. Like, give me a fucking break, Bev. Don't read that. That is some personal-ass shit. Like, Gates McFadden is the actress who, who like, left the show over how her character was portrayed. Like, she's got some leverage. I don't think yeah. she had to do this if she didn't want to. <laughs> ben, I agree. She's also my Shimoda. I think... I think she deserves extra Shimoda votes for this episode because this is so, like the needle is so pegged here for her. This is a Hall of Fame Shimoda portrayal of the likes that I don't know that we'll ever see again or have seen up until now. It's incredible. The only person more Shimoda-like than Beverly in this episode is Jim Shimoda himself in episode two of the show. Ben, I want to read you a quote from Brandon Braga quote goes like this it was the best performance I've ever seen (laughs) I just thought she did a wonderful job Picard catches Beverly masturbating for crying out loud what a tough role to play when I was writing the words she writhes around in the bed having invisible sex I just thought oh man we're asking for trouble are they going to be able to pull this off thanks to Frakes and Gates it was not hokey it was very good Look, I scripted the first orgasm in the game. This was mild by comparison. Sure, it was racy. Even Rick Berman said, I can't believe we're doing this. I think they trim quite a bit out during the writhing sequences. So says Brandon Braga. Jesus Christ, Brandon, really? <laughs> this guy what is such fuck, a fucking man? dingling. Like, <laughs> how the fuck is he the, like, guy that Seth MacFarlane taps for the Orville, and we're just sitting here making a goddamn podcast at him? 
I don't know, dude. Brandon is credited with a lot of good things about TNG, but he's quoted quite often as as being kind of a creep. He seems like such an asswipe. I don't know. I, I would love to be proven wrong. I don't want to libel him on our pod, but... uh. I don't either, but, like, come on, man. Like, you can't fucking go out in public saying shit like that. Come on. Gates and Frakes, Gates and Frakes, Gates and Frakes. <laughs> ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode of the show is Season 7, Episode 15, Lover Decks. While enduring the Enterprise's promotion evaluation process, four junior officers find themselves involved in a top-secret mission. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Yeah, this was uh, this is one of the notable bottles. Yeah, I think when you talk episode. when you talk about fun bottle episodes, this is on that list. Got to like uh, get get a little bit more involved in in uh, Nurse Ogawa's lifestyle, learn <laughs> what she's all about. Uh, it's a great episode. I think it's like one of the it's one of the episodes people talk about as great all time eps. Yeah, I mean TNG gets dinged for not being serialized or whatever but this is an this is a format they could have done every season and made interesting yeah. you know like give us the one lower decks episode every season and i think that's a totally viable idea it is a it's a star trek as a place episode you know yeah. like who yeah. who else lives on this ship what is it like for them what what do they not know you know like yeah. every time the fucking ship pulls up to a romulan warbird and gets a banger dropped on it you picture the like 995 people that aren't on the bridge and like wonder what is going through their minds. Like I can't, I can't think of a more interesting story to tell. You gotta think 500 of those people are looking out the window. <laughs> like what the fuck was that? Right? And I wonder if there's a general warning like about get away from the windows. <laughs> we never hear that announcement. We do not. Well, one thing we do announce at the end of every episode, Ben, is the way we talk about the episodes with our viewers is over on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. I'm over there as at Cup for Time. Ben is there as at Benjamin R. A-H-R. We also have a lot of fun interacting with viewers on Reddit uh, at r slash GreatestGen and yeah. on Facebook and uh, the GreatestGen Facebook group and page. Yeah, if you're interested in, in the... The memification of our show and its relationship to TNG, uh, Facebook has been memed to death. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like, people are making custom imagery for the references on our show. So check it out if you haven't already. It is great. So uh, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea, who makes a lot of other music on the program. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that is hosted by not Ben or Adam, but by other people that also work on the show. Oh, God, I wish other people helped us with this. <laughs> that would be amazing. We just throw them the keys for an app. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> show better not come back with a dent in it. <laughs> I got your word, not a scratch.
See, now you can go to interstitial. Or me. <laughs> hey, thanks for editing my episode, Adam. <laughs> I think this is one of mine, isn't it? No? I can't remember. It's been it's been such a long time since we started that there's no way for, for either of us to be totally sure. Well, if this is your episode and you're listening to this moment during the edit, Ben, and you have not killed yourself up to now, I'm sorry. <laughs> he died doing something he hated. <laughs> Editing Sub Rosa. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.